Welcome back, listener, to the Modern History HSC Podcast, your personal guide to understanding the modern world around us. Welcome back, listeners. We are less than 24 hours away from the Modern History HSC exam. So it really got me thinking, what is the chink in the armour? What is the one thing or the play that the HSC could throw at you that you might not be prepared for? So got me thinking about last year. Last year, and this was for the Soviet study question. So if you're doing the Soviet Union, it's probably why you clicked on the episode uh, for your national study. This is going to be really relevant. If not, maybe think about the principles, but the rest of the episodes probably not going to be for you. Last year, um, they gave two questions about the same topic, both about consolidation of power, Bolshevik consolidation of power, which means that if you spend all of your time preparing for a Stalin-based question, you know, how did Stalin rise to power? What is totalitarianism like? To what extent did it change Russia? If you had put all your eggs in that basket, you were completely screwed. And you could see that on the Facebook pages that a lot of people were upset. So this time around, if you did know that, you would be preparing for a part A option, Bolshevik consolidation of power question, and you need to have a Soviet, um, oh, sorry, a Stalin-based question uh, game plan ready to go. But here's the thing, there's another option, and you're probably not thinking about it. The other option is Soviet foreign policy. This is this last bit that's at the end of the textbook that sometimes doesn't get covered. So I'm going to go through with you a game plan and a source that you can use. So if you get this question, or God forbid you get two of these questions, you're going to survive and you're going to be able to execute on this. So... The basis for the question is discuss how Soviet foreign policy shifted from 1917 to 1941. So the scope is the entire unit. To start off with, before I go into the game plan and how you could break up each paragraph, I am going to be referring to a source, which is a book that I had to get off eBay, um, that has just shown up. It's called Inside the Kremlin's Cold War from Stalin to Khrushchev. And I'm going to be reading you a section from the prologue. If you want to reference any of the ideas or themes from this prologue as a source for your historiography, you can reference Zubok and Polashnikov. So let's get into this. Then we'll have a look at the game plan. Prologue. The Soviet worldview has been shaped by a history that was dramatically different from that of the West. The legacy of Tsarist history, the Bolshevik Revolution, the Civil War, and the experience of World War II all contributed to a unique Soviet perspective. Another important factor that significantly shaped the Soviet perspective was the Russian representation of not only being a nation, but also being distinctively imperial, an imperial civilization. One could argue that with the 
uh, with the exception of the period of the Mongol yoke during the 13th and 15th century. Russia has always been an empire, and even during the Mongol interlude, when its lands became part of this grandiose Mongol nomadic megastate, Russia still remained within the imperial framework. The traditional imperial legacy was just too insurmountable of an obstacle for Russia when it was considering becoming an ordinary nation state. Despite their intentions to build a brave new world from scratch, Russian communists simply could not break the imperial mode of thinking within the Russian mindset. At the end of the 15th century, the concept of Moscow as the third Rome had well and truly emerged. Two previous Romes had fallen, for they had sinned, and after the collapse of Constantinople, it was now time for Moscow to be the eternal keeper of the Christian Orthodox flame. This Russian Messianianism, um, there you go, I even struggle on words. Um, this word is referring to like this Messiah complex. Russian Messiah complex is the word I'm going to use. Um, became the spiritual backbone of the expanding Russian Empire, which perceived itself of nothing short as sacred. After the revolution of 1917, however, Soviet Russia assumed the responsibility of spreading the Marxist message. Now as the keeper of the Marxist faith, it would emancipate mankind rather than Orthodox Christianity. So here we have this interesting shift where the Russians are not taking on this new role. They're like adapting this role. It's not Christianity that's going to save the world. Um, it's like, it's us. It's our new message that's going to save the world. History gave the Russians more concrete reasons to see themselves as saviors of the world. Russians credited, them, credited themselves with having rescued Europe from two invading powers, the Mongols in the 13th century and Napoleon's armies in the early 19th century. The belief that Russia was the protector of mankind against militant anti-Christians was strongly reinforced by the victory of the Nazis in 1945. In the European war theatre, the Soviet contribution to victory was decisive and costly. The enormous sacrifice of the Russian people in the Second World War had led to the Soviet leaders to believe that the Allies owed them a great deal. The fact that the Soviet regime had, found, had been founded by communist revolutionaries further alienated Russia from the West and contributed to its Messiah-based legacy. The proletarian revolution, um, if you're not familiar with the word proletarian workers' revolution, as envisaged by Marx and Engels, was meant to create an unprecedented universal workers' proletarian empire. By the end of the 19th century, however, Marxism in the Western world was becoming more and more nationally based and was being transformed from its purest form into social democracy projects of welfare nation states. The socialists of France and Germany and even of Russia 
supported the First World War as a war between nation states. Lenin found himself the leader of Bolshevism alone and found himself the only one calling for the transformation of an imperialist European war to shift to a civilian class war. His call after the, after the defeat of the leftist revolution in Germany in 1918 failed to ignite any other revolutions in Europe. Only in Russia, where the concept of a nation state had completely failed, did Lenin lead the people to what he believed was a utopia of universal workers' empire without borders. So this is the prelude. And again, if you wanted to reference any of those ideas where this motivation is coming from for the Soviets, um, you want to reference Zubok and Pleshnikov. But now let's go into the game plan because we're going to be picking up from 1917 to 1941. So how is foreign policy shifting? First paragraph. 1917 to 1921. The key point that you want to be pushing in paragraph one is that with Lenin, with his plan for revolution, trying to push revolution in Western Europe, um, the idea is for international communism. This fails, and these attempts fail, as we were reading in the book in 1918 with Germany, and it doesn't gain any steam because the idea is being uh, twisted by the democracies. And I don't mean twisted in a negative way. I just mean it's being twisted from Lenin's approach, which he thinks is going to be working in Russia, is being twisted to being welfare. So public education, public health care, um, having like the doll, just that sort of stuff, creating a social safety net for workers. He can see that this is happening and they need to give up. They give up on Western Europe, on their hardcore communist parties. They've got their own massive internal problems. And this moves into 1921 to 1929. The revolutions are not happening after the First World War. The Russians are dealing with a civil war ending, war communism, so these domestic policies, they're having to backtrack um, for the survival of the party by bringing in the NEP, the new economic policy, which allows a little bit of capitalism. So Russia shifts and the Soviet Union shifts from supporting these hardcore communist groups and parties in Western Europe to just supporting the socialist parties. When we move into paragraph three, the point that we want to address is that from 1929 to 1934, Stalin is well and truly in control. So Stalin sees the Great Depression, which is shattering the global economy and just causing all the conditions that you need for dictatorships to rise. He thinks and he assesses that this Great Depression that was caused by excessive amounts of capitalism as well as the after effects of debt from the First World War is going to spark a revolution in Western Europe 
So he decides to pull support from these socialist parties and generally just thinks, well, like the revolutions are going to break out. This is the time. Let's get out of these communist light parties and just focus on our hardcore parties or just pull out completely and then we'll come in and we'll mop up when everything is going wrong. This is a massive miscalculation from Stalin and a foreign policy blunder from his point of view. Um, in the destabilization of these groups, because you have this mishmash of groups, this is where you can bring in the Nazis as an example. So the Nazis in their original name is the National Socialist German Workers Party. So you have a group of far right, far left, socialist, nationalists all mixed together. You have the Great Depression and you have all the conditions that you um, would have for these extreme groups to rise to powers of authority and people to connect with them, bring order to chaos. Stalin pulls out influence to this group so the Nationalist Socialist German Workers' Party just becomes full-blown nationalists and gets taken over by the right-wing elements. So this loss of communist influence leads to a power vacuum and allows fascism to rise in Europe and becomes the point of our paragraph four. 1935 to 1938, after Stalin's miscalculation, the Soviets now find themselves as one of the sole popular fronts against fascism in Europe. We can think about Europe being broken up into maybe three sections. On the West, you have the democracies, the social democracies. In the middle, you have fascism taking hold. And then as you're moving to the East, you have your communist states. Um, Stalin tries to unite as many anti-fascist groups together as possible in opposition to Nazi Germany. Their propaganda against each other is framing each other as being arch enemies. Uh, Stalin joins the League of Nations during this time and is signing treaties with the French and Czechoslovakia that they're going to support each other militarily against fascist aggression. While at the same time, most Western democracies, including the British and Australia as an example as well, um, they were taking on an approach of appeasement. And really, they were happy for the fascists to be there because they acted as a as a buffer against the anti-capitalist capitalist communists. It's like, we're happy to have Hitler there. Like, he hates the communists. He allows business to run, and that's what we want to continue to happen. So Stalin finds himself in a bit of a pickle, and he needs to make another foreign policy decision, which brings us into our last paragraph, 1939 to 1941, the Soviet Non-Aggression Pact. Stalin signs a non-aggression pact with Germany in an attempt to buy time before Russia would be eventually attacked. It had hoped 
uh, his hope and his calculation, which turned out to be correct, is that Germany would eventually turn its aggression to France first, be occupied there, and that would give Stalin enough time to be able to build up his defences as well as the non-aggression pact provided a physical geographical buffer zone because the uh, the pact allowed both the Nazis and the Soviets to take huge chunks of Eastern Europe and divide it up. So, as a bit of a recap for this question, discuss how... Soviet foreign policy shifted from 1917 to 1941. Lenin comes out with the entire Russian history that we're talking about at the beginning, being an empire, being great, being the new Rome, being the, the, the saviors of the world, that communism is working here, we're against the nation state, we're against this class-based power, and we're going to push communism into every single corner of the globe. That does not work. It's not really working. He's got his own major domestic problems. So this leads to him pulling back and supporting communist light socialist parties in Europe. This then leads to the Great Depression. The Great Depression causes chaos. The communist revolution in the mind of Stalin is, oh, yay, now it's guaranteed. We don't need to back these communist-like party. He cuts ties with the less hardcore groups in Europe and waits for the right timing. And then Central Europe swings hard right instead, totally taking him by surprise. The Soviets then become the sworn enemies of the far right, and the democracies are tolerant of the fascists, because they are not anti-capitalist capitalist, and they ignore Stalin's major concerns. Finally, Stalin decides to hedge his bets, signs a treaty with France, signs another treaty with the Nazis to divide up Eastern Europe, knowing full well that this is temporary, but at least it gives him more time to prepare for the upcoming conflict. Radio. Hopefully, this last-minute cram session is enough to save you, give you a game plan if you find yourself faced with a foreign policy question. Good luck tomorrow, and remember, be kind to yourself no matter what happens in the outcome. If you made it this far into the podcast, then you're probably one of our super fans for the Modern History HSC podcast, or I've asked you to listen to this for revision and you're in one of my classes. Regardless, if you are a fan of the show, then why not get some of our merch? We don't get any money from this, but we just wanted to share some designs with the Modern History HSC podcast theme. You can find our merch, uh, stickers, mugs, hats, bucket hats, I know they're in at the moment, um, on Redbubble. So Google Redbubble and in the search bar, just type Modern History HSC podcast to see all of our custom designs. Thank you.